Amen. Welcome home. Welcome back to Chi Alpha, everyone. I'm so glad you're all here tonight, and I know that God has got some big plans in store. That worship was incredible, right? Let's give our worship team a round of applause. Come on. Yeah, it's so fun to be able to worship God with all of you. As I just get to, I kind of walk around sometimes just be able to see what God has done. I remember when I was a student here in Chi Alpha, I remember our first service ever in this auditorium. I was playing bass with khaki shorts, and I shouldn't have been wearing shorts on the team, but that's besides the point. And just thinking what God has done since goofy-looking khaki short sophomore Derek. He's up there. It's pretty cool to see what God's doing. So I'm excited for what God is doing and what he's going to continue to do. And one thing that he's going to continue to do is raise up leaders. And the way we do that in Chi Alpha is through LTC, as she just talked about. LTC is probably the most important thing we do in Chi Alpha because the vision of Chi Alpha is to make disciples who make disciples who live lives of real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. And LTC is how we teach each other how to make disciples who make disciples. Plus, she's not joking when she says LTC is the biggest party of the year. It's the party we spend the most money on. We're going to have free scratch cupcakes for you. We're going to have pizza for you. There'll be it, some decorations that our interns put together. I don't know if they'll look good yet, but I'm hoping they will. It's three dudes who aren't the most creative guys, but it'll be fun. It's going to be good. I promise you LTC launch will be fun. If you're on the edge of whether or not to do the class, I challenge you just to take a step of obedience and see what God wants for you. I promise you God is not going to be upset with you for learning more about how to make leaders in his kingdom, right? I promise that, that that's, he's okay with you learning more about the kingdom of God. And I also promise you that you'll have a lot of fun at that party. So at least come to that. It'll be good. But if you are doing LTC, we really, really want you to be at the parties. It's kind of our vision casting or just showing you what the next eight weeks of your life will look like. So please make that a priority. Cool, cool. If this is your first time with us. I do hope that you feel like you're at home. My name is Derek. I'm the pastor here at Chi Alpha, and I'm really grateful that you decided to join us tonight. Specifically, this is your first time. I know it can be kind of scary trying something new. So thank you for doing that. I would love to meet you after service. We haven't got a chance to meet yet. Hope you are ready for these next couple weeks. We're going to dive into what God has to say about love, dating, marriage, sex. It's going to be fun. Everyone gives me the dirty look when I say that. They're like, ew, he's going to talk about sex. Uh, I so badly want to call this sermon bringing sex A back as an XA but, or sexo sex A. But every year I get in trouble. I was going to call this series Certified Love Series, and Taylor told me I wasn't allowed to say that either because the Drake album's naughty, but we'll keep going. <laughs> I just was picturing like the emoji, but like with our intern's face on it. And the, the, I'm sorry, that's off my notes, so we'll keep going. Let's jump in tonight. So to start off with some context, something that you should know about me is I absolutely hate conflict. I'm a people pleaser, and I will do whatever it takes to avoid conflict. I know sometimes conflict's actually probably a good thing, and it's good to help people grow, but it goes against what I have for my own personal desires and what I want, and this deeply impacted me growing up. Growing up, I had a few different romantic relationships, and something about middle school romance is those relationships usually have to end, and this usually means conflict. And see, none of my middle school relationships ended well. Please have grace for me these next few minutes. For example, in the seventh grade, I dated this girl who I met at church, and I thought we were vibing pretty well, and then we decided to go to a pool together for like a date, and this is really weird. Again, please don't judge me. I, it's kind of creepy, but anyways, she was getting out of the pool, and I remember distinctly, I saw her butt crack out of her like swimming suit, and that really freaked me out. I was like, girls don't have those. What's going on? <laughs> and in that moment, I decided, we done. This isn't going to work. 
I was so sinful. God is so good. Anyway, so that relationship stopped serving me the moment I saw that, so I wanted it to end. However, like I said, I hate conflict, so I did not want to hurt her feelings, or I didn't want to have that awkward conversation. So instead of like biting the bullet and being a gentleman and being respectful and going through an awkward encounter to, in order to really love her well and respect her, I had my mom dump her over text as I played flag football with my friends in the front yard. Yeah, my mom enabled me. It's probably, I blame her or something for my idiocracy. Anyways, keep going. My next relationship didn't end any better. So later that seventh grade year, I started dating this girl at school, and we had only talked over text. We never talked in person because that would be weird, right? Like, who talks in person? However, time passed, and we just kind of stopped texting each other. Like, we were boyfriend and girlfriend, it was, but we just kind of stopped texting, so it was kind of awkward. I'm like, what do I do now? I don't want to have an awkward moment and tell her, like, we should probably be done dating, I didn't want to go against my own desire and do some conflict, so all I did was I changed my Facebook relationship status to single from in relationship, and we never talked about it again. I had class with this girl every year until I graduated. We never spoke of it, so technically, I think we're still dating. I'm sorry, honey. We never technically broke up. Uh, To middle school Derek, love looks like kind of getting what I wanted out of a relationship And then when I was over that, love looked like avoiding hard conversations, not telling someone something they didn't want to hear, and kind of breaking up incognito. See, I clearly had no idea what love really was. And I think if we're honest, many of us don't quite understand love. We say we love our friends, we love certain foods, we say we love our moms, and we love our boyfriend and girlfriends, but those are all very different things. How are they all love? And in our culture, we're told love is about self-serving. Love is about what can I get out of something. Love is really about making ourselves happy, finding fulfillment, going on crazy adventures, and finding my Prince Charming or my Cinderella. So is love a feeling? Or is love a thought? Is it just a neural pathway? Is love an action? Really, what is love? How do we love? Do we love people through buying them things, through spending time together, or through showing them like affection? Maybe we ask ourselves, am I really loved? Am I ready to be in a loving relationship? Maybe you're thinking tonight, am I ready to date? Am I ready to get married? Am I ready to have sex? Or maybe you're asking yourself this question, why am I not loved? Why am I single? Maybe you're thinking, will I ever get married? Am I ever going to find my soulmate? And before you love someone, you usually start dating them, or that can be reverse order, but anyways, I told Taylor I loved her before we started dating. I shouldn't have done that. We'll keep going. So we might ask ourselves, what should dating look like? How do I date well in this culture, in this day and age? And then love can ultimately lead to sex. So how are love and sex related? Do I need to have sex with someone to show them I love them? Is it okay to have sex with someone as long as we love each other but we aren't quite married? What is sex at all? Is sex sex going all the way or is sex something different? Why is sex according to our culture and according to God so different? Why does Jesus talk about sex so much? Why does Chi Alpha and my small group leaders ask me about my purity and about sex? And then with sex, we have the beautiful joy of sexual sin, of pornography, boundaries, the question, how far is too far? And then sex is ultimately connected to marriage. So we might ask ourselves, what's marriage supposed to look like? Who should I marry? What should we do when we're married? There's so many questions around this topic, right? But ultimately, what we're asking ourselves is, what should I do when sparks fly? Come on, that's good. I got one clap. Thank you. Thank you so much. In case you are wondering, this is based off the Taylor Swift song, Sparks Fly, off of her second or album, Speak Now. For those of you around Kai Alpha last year, the series was called It's a Love Story, based off of Taylor Swift's song, Love Story. So I've hit two albums in a row, and I'm hoping next year to go to 22, and, or Red, excuse me, I was going to call it 22, but then I screwed it up. Anyways, so yes, it'll probably keep being Taylor Swift things, I'm sorry, I like T-Swift. Okay, we'll keep going. 
Tonight we're starting our new sermon series, When Sparks Fly. We're going to spend the next few weeks examining the answer to this question of what do we do when sparks start to fly? Starting with what is love? And then we'll move to how do we date well? We'll ask ourselves what, what does sex look like and ultimately what should marriage look like in the context of following Jesus? A lot of this content we're going to cover over these next few weeks is based off of another book by John Mark Comer, this one entitled Loveology, and it'll answer a lot of these questions we've discussed. And I know many of you are coming from very, very different places with this idea. Some of you are single and you're happy about it. You're like, have those shirts that say, like, Jesus is my homeboy and boyfriend, or I don't need a man, or something like that, which that's great. Please be single. We'll get to that in a later. But some of you, on the other hand, are single, but you're ready to mingle. You're like, every time you walk the car, you're like, mm, where am I going to find my future wife? That was me. But anyway, let's keep going. Some of you are dating or you're engaged, and some of you are married already. See, I believe God has something fresh for all of us these next few weeks, and I think he wants to help you no matter what stage of the journey you're on. Before we dive into, into it tonight, though, there's a question that I want to put before you that really will be the main reference point throughout this whole sermon series. It's, am I the person the person I'm looking for is looking for? Am I the person the person I'm looking for is looking for? Meaning that if you're single, are you the kind of person that the person you want to date would want to date? If you're dating, are you the boyfriend or girlfriend that you would want your significant other to be? If you're married, are you the spouse that you want your spouse to be? And just like any spark, it has to start somewhere. So tonight we're going to start with a spark. So a spark is the beginning really of a fire, right? And tonight we're going to start with the beginning of this topic by answering this question of what is love? And we'll find our answer to this question of what love is in the book of 1 John. 1 John was written by the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we learn from this letter that John, or 1 John 4, 7-8 says this, For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The basis of everything we're going to talk about in the next few weeks hinges on this idea that God is love. God is our best representation of what love should look like, of how we are to love. He's the best representation of what love, sex, dating, and marriage can look like in this cultural context. So God is love, and John is the one who Jesus loved. So I would say John's kind of an expert on love. So we're going to continue on into his book of 1 John 3 to get some more information. It says this in 1 John 3, 11 through 16. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. In case you're wondering, Cain is a character from the Old Testament. He's actually the son of Adam and Eve, and he killed his brother. So that's not exemplifying love. We'll keep going. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that you have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And here's my favorite verse, and the main thing we'll talk about tonight is, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. God, we pray that you will just speak through this message tonight, God, that we can have a true cultural idea of what love is, God, in our setting, God. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. The main idea tonight is this. Love is laying down our lives for others. Love is laying down our lives for others. Before we dive deeper into what love is, I actually want to attack two misconceptions that I think we have about love in our current culture. The first misconception is that love is tolerance. It's easy for us to think that love is just you do you and I'll do me. And this is especially true for those of us that are people pleasers and want everyone to like us. We want love to not be about like having opinions or caring deeply about other people's lives. And if we love that way, that makes love really passive. However, love is not a passive thing, but instead it's very active. Love is a noun and a verb. 
Love is not sitting by while we let our friends ruin their lives with poor decisions. Now, it's important to know that this should happen in the context of relationship. We should not go up to random strangers and yell at them about their decision-making. That is not intelligent. Don't do that. Don't go to the dining center and start screaming at people about their dietary habits. But if you're friends with someone, we can gently bring things up that might upset them because we know it's for their good. See, love is being willing to go outside of our comfort zones and potentially impeding on other people's comfort zones to share the love of Jesus with them. We can't just sit by and watch this community and our whole campus just go to hell. If we truly love Jesus and we truly think God is the hope of the world and we truly love the people around us, we won't be able to help but talk about God to our friends because we love them and we love God and we know that God is hope. We must be willing to have hard conversations to help each other out. We obviously need to be gentle and loving, as Paul says in Galatians 5.1, but we must be willing to speak hard truth and not tolerate everything. That is true love. Love is not tolerance. Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. See, love calls us to point our friends to Jesus. Another misconception our culture has about love is that love is a feeling, or just like love is the passion we have for things. See, I really enjoy music. I, love, or I really enjoy basketball. I enjoy to read, because those things bring me happiness. Those things bring me joy. So in my head, those are things that I love because they make me feel better. While it's okay to have emotion and have romantic feelings, love can't stop there. Love can't stop with emotion because love is an action. Love as a feeling is defined by what can I get out of this, but love as an action is defined by what can I give. We can take this same mindset, and if we do that, we'll only be around people that make us happy. But John's definition of love is quite different than that. He says in verse 16 that love is laying down our lives for other people. Love is being around people even if they don't make us super full of joy and happiness. We are to go outside of our way for people in order to love them where they're at. We are to have friends that don't necessarily look exactly like us, and it might make us feel uncomfortable at times because people need to be loved. See, if love is just an emotion, it kind of miscues the way of Jesus. For example, Jesus certainly had an emotion when he was on the cross. But I think it wasn't joy and excitement. Psalm 22 actually shows us what Jesus is feeling. He's feeling agony. When Jesus was on the cross, I don't think he was feeling it, right? In that moment, he wasn't like, yes, thank you that I get to have nails in my hands. This is fun. But he did it anyways because love is an action. We cannot base our love off of just emotion because I'll be honest, there comes a time in marriage or really in any relationship when the emotion goes away. The butterflies are not always there but I must keep loving my wife, Taylor. We must be willing to love even when we don't feel like it because love's not a feeling but an action. And Jesus commands us to love, to love him, to love our neighbors, our enemies. And this love cannot just be based off of emotion but off of action and obedience, the action of laying down our lives for other people. The most pure form of love in all of human history is Jesus dying on a cross for our sins and paying the penalties for our mistakes even though he may not have been feeling it in the moment. Before we dive into the details of marriage and dating, we must understand this, that all love is rooted from God the Father sending his son Jesus to die for us. We have to look to the cross if we want to truly understand love, because love is sacrifice. Love is laying down our lives to other people. Our English word love doesn't actually really encompass all of love. or all yeah. In the English language, we only have one word to articulate our enjoyment of pizza, of other people, of passion and pleasure. However, we are in luck. 
because the Greek language, which is the language that the New Testament was written in, actually has four words for our single English, English word, love. And C.S. Lewis, who's one of my favorite authors of all time, he's a great Christian theologian or an old dead guy who knows a whole lot about God, he wrote an incredible book on these four words entitled The Four Loves. So we're going to dive into these four words and how they can be crucial for us having good relationships and really ultimately marriages. So the first kind of love that we're going to explore tonight is this word called storge. Storge love is affection or familial love. This is the love you have for your family, your cousins you see once in a while, your dog. It's the love that takes time to develop, but once it does, it's easy to look past flaws, imperfections, because they're family, right? We have to love them. This kind of love helps you look past your crazy uncle's tendencies to say uncomfortable things and love them anyways, and we go on political rants during Thanksgiving. Storge love makes it so my dog can be really bad. He hides in corners. He steals the remote constantly. But some reason I still love him. It's because this familial love. C.S. Lewis says that this kind of love is actually the most generous love. We'll look past people's faults, barriers, and backgrounds to show them this kind of love. However, storge love isn't that effective on its own. See, I, I had a really special pillow growing up. It actually has Winnie the Pooh on it. And I love that pillow. It's still in my bedroom to this day, and I'm married and 25 years old. I love that pillow, but I would not risk my life to save that pillow. I'll be like, all right, you're good. See you on the other side. Because it's not that powerful. This love of storge love is more powerful when it's partnered with the other types of love. Storge love can be dangerous, though. A lot of times, this love makes us think that we deserve love no matter what. We think, I'm their brother, I'm their sister, we're family. They have to love me no matter what. So that, we feel like sometimes it gives us a license to be jerks to people. And we can treat people poorly because we think they have to love us, they're family. And that's not the love of God. This love also really runs into this idea of needing to be needed. I want you to think of a mom who continues to cook dinner every single night. So she feels needed by her family. But this mom is just a terrible cook. And they would all much rather cook their own meals or go out to eat. But this mom keeps cooking night in and night out because she needs to be needed by her family. That's not true love. True love is letting someone else try to cook because she's not very good at it. That would be like if I cooked. I talked about that on Sunday at church. I'm not a good cook. Ask Taylor about the broccoli quinoa casserole that tasted terrible. We'll keep going, though. This kind of love also leads us to not equipping or empowering other people. This love can lead us to get defensive and to like take ownership over the things that are in our lives. And we're like, no, this is mine. You can't take this away from me. This love leads us to not really want to replace ourselves. And in the wrong avenue, this love can lead to jealousy and a weird sense of ownership. This love may be dangerous, but it's also beautiful. It helps us look past social barriers. It helps us have affection for people that are different from us. For example, so I have my older brother, Daniel, who's the pastor of our church, and I actually have two older brothers than, than him, and they're like really handy and manly and have trucks, and that's just not me, you know? I don't know how to fix anything. I used a screwdriver once, and that was pretty cool, but we don't have a whole lot in common, my brothers and I, but I love them anyways, and the way that I love them is through laying down my life for them is really just laying down my desires and interests. When we get together and talk, I don't say like, hey, I read this old Jesus follower book, and I really enjoyed sitting and reading that they would be really bored and fall asleep. One of them has said, I'm never going to read a book, and that makes me sad that's all I like to do. But anyways, loving my brothers looks like not caring about my interests, but caring about their interests. See, true love is not forcing the people around us to do the things that we like to do in order for us to hang out with them. No, true love is laying down our favorite activities, our interests, in order just to love them where they're at and love people with what they want to do. True love is not only loving people if you agree with them on everything. True love is loving people no matter their religion, their political party, or their personality. True love is the opposite of arguing with people on Facebook. 
See, marriages need this storge love to go the distance. You want your spouse to feel like an old friend. We'll move on to the next kind of love, which is phileo love. Phileo love is that friendship love. Something that C.S. Lewis says in his book is that this is the kind of love of people with common interests, side by side, pursuing the same goals. Lewis actually calls this the least natural kind of love. See, he doesn't get us like super excited. He doesn't do anything to our bodies. As much as I love Victor, who's on our staff team and guitar player, when I see him, it doesn't give me quite the same feelings as when I see Taylor, even though I love Victor very much. <laughs> and we don't need this kind of love to actually survive, because like some of the other loves we're going to get to that's like funky town, that leads to survival as we have kids. I'll get there in a little bit. But we don't technically need friends to survive. And I think that's what makes this love so valuable. We value what they value, and we choose to do this thing together. We don't need each other, but we want to be, to each, be with each other and talk for hours and hours. This love brings us joy, and it makes the journey of life so much better. As Jesus followers, we need friends in our lives that encourage and challenge us to look more like God. One quote that I love from the book is this. The mark of a perfect friendship is not that help will be given when a pinch comes. Of course it will. But that having been given, it makes no difference at all. This love, unlike storge love, has no need to be needed. We just want to get back to being friends and doing the things that we enjoy together. It's free-flowing friendship that can lead to great things, great discoveries, and it makes life more fun. However, this love also has a bad spin it can take. This kind of love can lead us to become clicky. My prayer is that Chi Alpha is never clicky. I pray that we love each other and that we don't exclude people. There's always room for more friends in our family. There's always more room for more people. See, love is not Chi Alpha becoming great friends with just Chi Alpha people and not talking to anyone else. If all of your relationships are with Chi Alpha people, we're kind of missing the point of following Jesus. We have to be outward focused and making friends with people who do not know Jesus so that we can show them the love of God through our phileo or friendship love to them. I never want to be just like a hiding place where we shut the doors of Lang and hide out from the rest of campus. That's not my goal here. My goal is that we come here to get filled up with the power of God and we go out to love our campus and be friends with people that are very different from us. This is an area I struggle with. It's easy for me to go through the motions and just go through the rhythms, be friends with our Chi Alpha staff team, be friends with you guys, and not really think outside of that, and that is wrong of me. So I get why this is hard, because we like the people in this room, hopefully, so we want to hang out with them. But if we think about the definition of love as laying down our lives for people, just hanging out with people that we enjoy that also follow Jesus isn't quite laying down our lives for people. This is a prayer of mine that we grow in as Chi Alpha, and it starts with me, so I really want to grow in this as well. Another thing is when we share the love of Jesus with people on our campus, we aren't going to necessarily come across people that we always enjoy being around. That's why we need the other types of love. We need our friendship love to be layered in godly love that will push us to love people even if we don't necessarily enjoy them as much. Just because someone is different from us does not mean we are excused from sharing Jesus with them. Even if I, I've been in classes, I know, where there's that one kid who always answers the questions and he's really awkward or drives you nuts, or maybe that's you. I don't know. I was the quiet, mean kid in the back who just like, shut up, let's get through this. But anyways, just because if someone annoys, you, annoys us in our classes does not mean we're excused from being their friend, right? We probably should actually go out of our way even more to be their friends because I'm assuming other people are not. And that's how we share the love of God with them. In regards to marriage and dating, for the love of God, please marry your friend. I'll be honest, my favorite thing about my marriage is not the romance or the sexual attraction. It's the fact that Taylor's my best friend in the world. For some reason, we both will quote Brooklyn Nine-Nine back and forth to each other. She thinks I'm funny once in a while. 
We watch Marvel together, and we have a whole lot of fun. Please marry your friend. It makes it a lot more enjoyable and a lot easier. If you're fighting, and I just say, can we watch the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Captain America? She's like, okay, and then the fight's over. It's really easy. So get married to your friend who has similar interests, and you can avoid all conflict. See, we talked about it at the beginning. Just kidding. Don't avoid conflict. Conflict's good. Friendship is being with people who are on the same path of life as you. So you should have friends that don't follow Jesus, but if you follow Jesus, your closest friends probably will follow Jesus as well, and I think that's okay because that's your closest, deepest inner circle. But what this means is it means when you marry someone, the person you marry should follow Jesus because they need to be your friend. In order to be your friend, they need to be on a similar path. Please do not marry someone who does not love Jesus as much as you do. Marry someone who loves Jesus more than they love you. That's going to lead to a healthy marriage. If you are their God, you will fail and not be a very good God, and you're going to lead to a lot of heartache. Please marry someone who loves Jesus. Missionary dating or dating someone to get them to fall in love with Jesus usually doesn't end very well. We want to be in the same trajectory in life. We want to have similar calling, and we want to be true friends with people. The reason why I say that is because I dated someone who did not love Jesus my senior year of high school, and it led to so much heartache and pain. I like, tried to like, lie to myself and tell, me, tell myself that she loved Jesus when she did not, and I regret that, and I don't want that for you guys' lives. My favorite thing about my marriage is my friendship, but I also love when I walk outside of my bedroom and I see Taylor sitting on the couch reading her Bible every morning. That's when Taylor's most attractive to me, and I want that for your guys' lives. Friendship is awesome, but again, alone it will not do. There are more types of love that we need in marriage in life. See, when our spouses have different interests or they're not that pleasant to be around, which will happen? Your wife or husband will not always be pleasant. What do we do then? What do I do when Taylor falls asleep during every single NFL game? Every Sunday morning, first quarter hits, just like clockwork. She's out snoring, making it hard to hear. Anyways, my wife doesn't snore. I didn't just throw her under the bus. That'd be bad. We'll keep going. We need love that lasts after our friendship, which leads to our next type of love, the funky time, bow chicka wow wow kind of love, eros love which is our sexual love. I know this is why you're all here. It's the butterflies you get when that certain someone sits next to you at Chi Alpha. It's when you start falling in love. It's when you become obsessed with that special someone. Everyone starts squirming as soon as I say the word sexual desire. Wait for a couple weeks. We're going to get real. Nope, 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 nope. Let's keep going. (sighs) Eros includes sexual desire, but it's actually a lot more than that. Because sexual desire, or what C.S. Lewis refers to as Venus, is actually just wanting sex. You aren't obsessed with a specific person. You don't want that person. You just want the feeling of sex. Eros love is not just desiring sex. It's desiring the beloved person. So having sexual desire for a person, not just desire for that feeling, which means hooking up Tinder and things like that will not fulfill the Eros love void in your life. Hooking up is not about love to and from a special person. That's just about the thrill of sexual pleasure. The other person doesn't want and desire you. They desire the pleasure you provide. You are a means to an end, not a soulmate to them. However, eros in the purest sense is an amazing thing. Finding the one person that you're to be with and having sex inside the covenant of marriage is incredible. Sit for awkward silence. (laughs) The feeling of eros should come into its truest and most beautiful sense on a husband and wife's wedding night. Because sexual feelings are not bad in the eyes of God. Amen. However, this love is very powerful and dangerous in the wrong hands. Sexual activity outside of marriage can destroy you because you're attaching yourself to someone who's not committed to you before God, family, friends, and the government. 
That's why we get married to say, I'm all in on that person. I'm not going anywhere. I'm committed. It's a safe place to fully express all four kinds of love. Our spouse should be someone who we can lay down our lives for, who's also our best friend, it's our closest family member, and our sexual partner. God gave us the covenant of marriage so that we could fully give ourselves to someone else without fear that they will leave in the morning if I don't perform sexually. If you have sex and eros love outside of the safety of the container of marriage, you can attach yourself to someone who can leave on the drop of a dime. I know we become convinced that my boyfriend or girlfriend would never do that to me, but outside the covenant of marriage, you don't actually have any documentation that locks them in. You truly do not know until you're married that they're going to be there when you wake up, even though we can convince ourselves they will. When you attach yourself to someone who's not fully committed to you, it can lead to the feelings of rejection, shame, and heartache. It can lead to destruction. See, God doesn't tell us to not have sexual relationships outside of marriage because he wants to steal our fun. No, it's because he's a protective father who loves you. When I have a daughter, if some man comes over, I don't own guns or anything, but I'll get some fake gun noises on my phone or something to make them scared because I will protect my daughters because I love them. They're not even existent. Who knows if I'll have a daughter? I really hope so. I feel bad for Taylor, me and a bunch of hooligan boys. C.S. Lewis, though, he dives into this Eros love and he says that there's one big danger with it. This danger is idolizing it. Sometimes we place Eros love on the throne of our lives. We think, if only I meet Prince Charming, if only I could find a beautiful wife who gives me that special feeling, we make a good thing, Eros love, into an ultimate thing. We think that's the key to our happiness. I know that when I was in your rise season of life, I was obsessed with finding a spouse. Please don't judge me. I remember one time I was driving home from football practice in high school, and I was legit crying. Like, God, why don't I have a wife yet? I was 16. I think God's like, chill, down boy. But... <laughs> You know what? I was a little crazy. I imagine you guys aren't that crazy. If so, we'll pray after service. I can like pray healing and deliverance over you if you're like me. I was bad. Don't be like Derek. I imagine you guys aren't like that, but I guess that if you're not married in here, finding your potential spouse is something you worry about from time to time. If that's you, your pursuit of a spouse might just be getting in the way of your pursuit of God. Pursue God first. The Bible is clear to seek first the kingdom of God, and then all else will be added to you. Trust God enough with your future spouse, because God cares more about your future spouse than you do. Trust God to take control of that, and then you don't have to worry about it or try to force something. Please do not try to negotiate your way into believing someone can be your spouse when you know they are not God's best for you. If they do not love Jesus, they are not God's best for you. And the reason I know that is because I did it, like I said, and it caused me so much pain before I met Taylor. My greatest regrets in life is through dating someone who doesn't love Jesus. And I don't want that for your life. And if that's where you're at right now, there's hope. You're not stuck. You're not locked in, right? Unless you're married to him, that's a separate conversation. We won't get there. So instead of focusing on finding the right person, become the person that the person you are looking for is looking for. If you want a godly spouse who spends time in real devotion to Jesus, but you never spend time reading the Bible or praying or seeking God, something doesn't quite add up. Be the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Another thing is you do not need a partner or romance to be complete in life. All we need is Jesus. Eros love cannot fulfill us. I have an amazing spouse. I truly think I have the best spouse on the planet. That was the Holy Spirit reaffirming me, saying, yes, you do. So I love my spouse, but I quickly learned after we got married that she wasn't enough to fulfill me. Only the love from God could satisfy me. 
1 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9 says this, To the unmarried and the widows, I would say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. That's the verse I use with my in-laws to get married. I said, I'm burning with passion. I need to get married real quick. And my father-in-law was like, yes, son, that's true. He was, I love him so much. But what this verse is really telling us is that singleness is okay. Paul's actually saying that it's better to be single than married. We have to become okay with being just with Jesus and being single. If you seek a spouse to fulfill you, they will come up short. Because no person can fulfill a God-sized whole. Expecting a spouse to fulfill you or be your other half, as we say in culture, is actually placing unfair expectations on a human being they cannot possibly live up to. Not only will this hurt your relationship with God as you're not finding fulfillment through Him, it's also going to hurt your relationship with the other person because you're expecting things out of them they cannot possibly do for you. For those of us who do get married, if we build our marriage on this romantic, passionate type of love, when the butterflies go away, so can the marriage. Because we all get ugly. I'm already on a steep climb towards being old, wrinkly, and ugly. Taylor says my skin's too dry, so I'm going to get really wrinkly really quickly, and I think she's right. But anyways, I hope that Taylor will love me anyways when I'm really wrinkly. The feeling might go away, but if you have the other types of love, our marriages can go the distance. The only way for all this to work, though, is through this final type of love. It's the best of all, agape love, which is godly love. We must go back to John to understand this kind of love. The best form of love is this godly love. And 1 John 4, 9 through 12 says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. In this passage, when we read the English word love, we're reading the Greek word agape. Verse 11 says that we ought to love one another as God loves us. This agape form of love is an action. It's a verb. It's when we're actively loving people. It's when we lay down our lives for people, as John says earlier in the book. We need agape love to characterize all of our kinds of love. Agape love coupled with storge or familial love calls a mom to lay down her life for her child. Agape love coupled with phileo love causes a friend to love like Jesus and lay down his life for his friends when they're in a time of need. Agape love coupled with eros love calls a wife to love her husband even when he gets old and cannot serve her in the way she once or he once did. If we want to have successful relationships, we must be willing to lay down our lives for other people. We must love the people around us as Christ loved us, which is a love of sacrifice. Because all other loves fade. This is the only love from everlasting to everlasting. Lewis tells us this, Do not let your happiness depend on something you may lose. If love is to be a blessing and not a misery, it must be for the, it must be for the only beloved who will never pass away. Because all other of these kinds of loves, they're going to pass away. Our spouses will die, our parents will pass away, our friends will pass away, but Jesus will remain forever. Only God can satisfy us because he's the only one who's going to make the distance. This kind of agape love does not rely on feeling, but a choice, a choice of obedience to a king. When Jesus says to love our neighbors, he's talking about this agape kind of love. This kind of love should do something to us. Actually, I think this love should do three things to us. Number one is agape love should compel us to sacrifice. It'll cause us to be willing to sacrifice the people around us. For our family or people with storge love, it'll push us to be willing to share the truth with them 
Just because they're your sibling or your parent does not mean that they do not need to hear about the love of God. For our friends or with phileo love, it'll cause us to go out of our way for them. We'll sacrifice our time for the people in this room and we will love them fiercely. For our romantic partners, we'll sacrifice ourselves for them. And the biggest way that we show this type of love, listen to this, the biggest way that we show godly love for our romantic partners is by acting purely with them. If we truly love them as God loves them, the last thing that we're going to want to do is cause them to sin. True love is not crossing your sexual boundaries or your other to express your love to them. No, true love is caring more about your partner's soul than their momentary feelings and happiness and more, caring more about their walk with Jesus so you protect them from falling into sin. True agape love will not let us give in to temptation because not only is that causing us to sin when we do sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage, but it's also causing the other person to sin. And if you truly love them, you should love them enough to say no. Sacrifice, lay down your sexual pleasure for your partner's soul and walk with God. If your own relationship with God is not enough motivation to not do sexual sin, let your partner's soul with Jesus be enough motivation. I wish someone would have told me that message when I was a freshman in your seat. Finally, we are called to sacrifice for God. How we do this is through spending time with him. We have an amazing opportunity to set aside time every single day for Jesus. Sacrifice an hour of sleep so you can get up early, read the Bible, pray, and worship King Jesus. If we want to thrive in our relationship with our family, our friends, our romantic partners, and God, we must be willing to sacrifice or lay down our lives for each other. If your marriage is all about you, it will fail. If your friendships are all about you and what they do for you and how they make you feel, it'll be a one-way street. True depth, true friendship happens when we sacrifice for one another. Not only will agape love cause us to sacrifice, it will also should compel us to trust. If we know in our hearts that Jesus did what he said he did, this should make us trust him. If Jesus truly came and died on a cross when we deserved sin and death in hell, if he lived the perfect life for us, if that's what God did, we should be able to trust him. And the best way we show trust is through obedience, by trusting him enough to actually do what he says. If we trust God and trust that he's smarter than us and he knows what's best for our lives, we won't be able to help but obey him. So if God tells you to do something, do it. If you trust God enough that he has your best interests at heart and you know that he's not trying to ruin your fun, it makes life so much more fulfilling. I know this is challenging. I know these things are hard. But if God tells you something like you're going to be single or you're going to break up with a partner, we need to trust that God will be enough. If we idolize a relationship, that's us saying, God, I don't actually trust you to, be, to satisfy me. I think a lot of times we don't trust God enough to be our happiness and our satisf- satisfaction. Let's be a people that trust God with everything. Finally, agape love should compel us to serve. True love is serving. If agape love is our foundation, this will cause us to have a servant's heart for the people in our lives. Instead of just trying to receive from people, we will want to give to people. We'll look to serve the people around us, serve our leader, serve our community. Agape love will cause us to come and join Set Up Teardown team and Set Up Before Service. Am I right, John Kruger? Amen. If you want to show off that kind of love, talk to John after service. These lights got to get hung up, and I see Jordan doing it all the time. He's a stud. Let's give Jordan a round of applause. He's also really tall, so that helps. Agape love should cause us to volunteer in our community to serve our friends with love. 
There's a story in the Bible that describes love and serving more than any other story, in my opinion. So I want you guys to think back to Bible times. I want you to think about walking with Jesus. Jesus' disciples, they were his closest friends in the world, and he was their hero. Think of your hero. For me, my hero is LeBron James. Imagine getting to spend three years learning from your hero. And then you come to a house, and you go inside to get ready to eat with your hero and your closest friends. This is the context we're about to share. We're reading out of John chapter 13. It says this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Just a reminder, this is back in year 30. People's feet were stinky. People walked around barefoot with the sewage on the side of the road. So Jesus was washing smelly, reeky, dirty feet. Go to verse 6. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you will have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus, I imagine laughing, said, No, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet, he put on his outer garment and resumed his place. And he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, for you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This story gets me every time. The God of the universe, the creator of everything, washed the feet of 12 smelly men. So not only did Jesus come and die on a cross for us. Not only did Jesus come and take our pain and our punishment, not only was he mocked, spit in the face, and beaten, he loved us enough to serve us by washing his disciples' feet. Are you willing to be like Jesus and wash the feet of the people you love? Are you a servant like Jesus? I know sometimes myself, if I'm honest, I think too highly of myself. But the King of Kings was willing to wash feet. So we should be willing to do the same. Another fact about this story is that not only was Jesus willing to wash his friend's feet, he also washed Judas's feet. Judas was the disciple that betrayed Jesus and led to his death. This man literally leads straight to his murder not long after this. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that in a few short hours, Judas was going to betray him and sell him off lead to his death, but he washed his feet anyway. Serving our friends and our loved ones is not enough. 
We must be willing to serve everyone, whether they love us or they hate us. See, Jesus is the answer our generation needs. I promise you, it is not pushy to share the love of God with people. If you are a Jesus follower, I want you to think about what God has done in your life. Think of where you were before you met Jesus and think of where you are now. I'm going to hope to say that you feel like you're in a little bit of a better place. Aren't you glad that someone served you enough and was willing to go outside of their comfort zone to show a God made love to you and come up to you at a Chick-fil-A party or come up to you on campus and say, hey, there's this thing called Chi Alpha. I'd love for you to join me. And then you got to come here and meet the love of God and your life has hopefully been turned upside down simply because someone, probably a small group leader in this room, was willing to go outside of their comfort zone and say, it's not about me. Newsflash. It is uncomfortable to go to people in the middle of a park and tell them about Jesus. No one likes it. Even when you're eating Chick-fil-A, it's still awkward. But the people in this room that led to you coming to know Jesus cared enough about you and were willing to wash your feet through having an extremely awkward conversation. And because of that, your life has probably been turned upside down by the kingdom of God. Let us not let this stop here, but keep going and washing other people's feet. Aren't you glad that someone showed agape love to you? Or maybe you're here. If you're honest, you have a distorted view of love. You've always viewed love as a way to serve yourself instead of laying down your life for other people. The reason we are to lay down our lives for others is because Jesus laid down his life for us. The God of the universe loved us enough to die on a cross to pay for our sins. And we are to emulate this kind of love with the people around us. If you're here and if you're honest, relationships and love has not gone well. Maybe you've known where to do a dating series and you're kind of nervous and stressed about coming tonight. Maybe you have a messed up past where you made a lot of mistakes. Or maybe you're in a relationship right now and you're making a lot of mistakes. I want you to know that I'm glad you're here. And that God loves you and we love you. And that Romans 8.1 is clear that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So no matter where you're at, no matter what your sexual history is, no matter what your sexual present is, God has a plan for you and wants to turn your life upside down. He does not want you to continue in the way you were. He's not going to leave you in the filth of past mistakes and baggage, but he has got a godly plan for you. God's not mad at you. God is not mad at you. But he wants you to commit that from now on, love is going to look like laying down your life for other people. Love is Jesus washing our feet. We have an opportunity. We can be like Jesus to the people around us. We can show the love of God like Jesus. We can wash the feet of people on our campus. We can sacrifice for people. We can serve people by telling them about God, by helping them look more like Jesus, and by loving people even when they are not loving to us. True love is not loving the church kids. True love is loving the person who spits in your face and hates Jesus followers. Love is saying, I'm going to still have a relationship with you. I'm still going to be your friend. I don't care if we agree in our beliefs. That is love. And if we show love to our campus, we will see a shift on this campus. We'll see people come to know the love of God through our love to them. We'll see a culture of negativity and self-centeredness become infiltrated with the selfless, sacrificial love of God that lives to serve. If we do this, our campus will find hope through Jesus and experience love in a way that's so much greater than they ever have before. Not only will this impact our campus, but it'll impact our dating lives, it'll impact our relationships with God, and ultimately, it'll help your path of spiritual formation into the image of God.
If we are willing to lay down our lives for the world around us, we will see this world changed and you'll see your life turned upside down with the love of God. Please stand with me. If you're here tonight, and if you're honest, you've never really taken a first step with God, or maybe you once took a first step with God, but you kind of ran away from Him, and you want that to change tonight, if you want to accept the free gift of grace over your life and say, God, wash me white as snow. Maybe you've made a lot of mistakes, and maybe you feel like that has created a wedge between you and God. Let's smash that wedge tonight, because God doesn't think it needs to be there. So if that's you, and you want to give your life to Jesus and say, I'm all in with you, King Jesus, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. So everyone will close your eyes and bow your heads. The way we do this around Chi Alpha is I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, not so you can show me something or show the people around you something, but so you can do an outward sign to God that says, I'm all in. So if that's you, and you want to commit to following Jesus, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you so much, God. Jesus, thank you for washing our feet. Thank you for being a God who serves, not a God who takes. Jesus, thank you for my new brothers and sisters in your, sisters in your kingdom, God. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. Now, if you're here tonight, and maybe there's something going on in your heart, maybe God's stirring you, we're going to have some people up in these front corners that would like to pray with you. If there's something you're wrestling with, maybe you feel some pain or there's some trauma from your past, Everything you share is confidential. They just would love to pray over you. So they're going to come up right now and sit in the corners. But what I want us to do is as we sing this song, if you're here and you want to commit to loving and laying down your life, I challenge you by taking an outward step right now to God. If you want to be all in with God, do something that might be a little uncomfortable for you. Maybe that looks like raising your hands. Maybe you never do that and you want to do something different. Maybe it just looks like raising your hands here. Maybe it looks like getting on your knees, spreading out. I don't care what it looks like, but do something to activate your body into an active relationship with God because love is an action, not just a feeling. So act and let's worship God together. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you so much. God, thank you. Thank you for your redemptive heart, God. Thank you for loving us despite our sins and flaws and baggage, God. Thank you for being a loving God. In your name.